Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from the Christ child of Bethlehem, the one that we bow before and worship, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Our uh, text for this Epiphany sermon is the gospel lesson that we hear at Epiphany time from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We hear of, of the wise men who come and worship Jesus. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, when Herod was king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. He gathered together all the, chief, all the people's chief priests and experts in the law. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, because this was written through the prophet, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report to me, so that I may also go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And then the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stood still over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with overwhelming joy. After they went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And since they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. And we pray, O Lord Jesus, give us hearts like the wise men who are intent on bowing down and worshiping you. Amen. Please be seated. Today we want to talk about worship, true worship. The wise men, they were intent on worshiping Jesus. Meanwhile, we see false worship with Herod, who pretends that he wants to worship Jesus, but that's really not the case. Today on this Epiphany, on this epiphany Festival, we, we want to ask ourselves, what do the wise men teach us about true worship? What does it involve? What does it look like? How does it come about? How might we join them in worshiping our Savior, Jesus? And for our purposes today, I've, I've narrowed it down to four points that we want to talk about. Number one, true worship begins with God. True worship begins with God. And this is common sense, isn't it? Before we can worship God, he has to reveal himself to us. He has to introduce himself to us. The Bible teaches this. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Or in confirmation class, in our catechism, in the third article of the creed, we confess, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps me in the true faith. It's God's work. God is the one who brings people to himself. He's the one who draws us to Jesus. 
And this was absolutely the case also for these wise men from the east. Now, of course, we have so many questions about these, these men of mystery. Where exactly did they come from? How exactly did they know about the king? What did they know about this star that they saw? We're not sure. But what we are sure and certain is that God was behind it. God was the one who was leading them. He was the one that got them underway. Sometimes people suggest that maybe they were wise men in the line of Daniel the prophet. Maybe they had some sort of special revelation from God that isn't recorded for us in the Bible. Other people have even suggested maybe God gave them a direct revelation, a dream or a vision, telling them to get going. After all, he appeared to them later on in a vision, telling them to not return to Herod. We don't know these details about these wise men. But what we do know is that God was directing them all the while. Even when they get to Jerusalem, they walk into the palace, God is still directing them now through his word, through the pen of the prophet Micah. As the the chief priests and experts, they, they say, well, this king's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. You should go look over there. And then again, as they were on their way over to Bethlehem, God was guiding them, again, putting that star in the sky, a miraculous star, leading them to the very house, to the very child, Jesus. Dear friends, God is still bringing people to Jesus. For us today, that guiding star is God's word and his sacraments. These are the things that bring us into the presence of Jesus himself. But it all begins with God. It begins with his direction, his action, his working. That's what puts faith into our hearts. It's not that we are accomplishing anything, presuming to walk in before God. He's the one that puts faith into our hearts, that brings us to see this small, humble little child as our Savior. And this is something that God does graciously for us. The fact that we can come and worship God and see that Jesus is the Savior that we need from our sins. It's all due to the fact that God loves us, that he's been at work guiding and leading us to that realization. He's the one that brings us to faith in the Savior, Jesus. He's the one that enables us to actually worship him. So true worship begins with God. Secondly, true worship is inclusive. True worship is open to all people. This is something that Paul emphasized as well in his epistles. To the Galatians, he writes, There is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one and the same in Christ Jesus. Or as Paul explained to the Romans, The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus to all who simply believe it. Jews, Gentiles, whatever. Maybe we we need to hear this and emphasize this this year more than ever before, especially after all the the racial unrest and now the, the political unrest that we've witnessed. After we've seen all the ugly results of, of prejudice and injustice, after we see people throughout this, this COVID year at complete odds with other people over differences as small as personal opinions, hasn't this year split people, driven people apart from one another more than ever? 
True worship of Christ brings people together. True worship of Christ unites people. After all, God wants his church to be diverse. He wants all ages included. All ages, even from the unborn. Think of John the Baptist who was in the womb of his mother, and yet he is worshiping Christ as he's leaping for joy because Jesus is nearby. From from the very young to the very old, think of Simeon and Anna, the elderly who were there in the temple courts swooping that infant Jesus into their arms, rejoicing and praising God for the fact that they got to see their salvation. God wants also all socioeconomic classes to be included in his church. And that includes kings and well-to-do wealthy people like these wise men that we hear about in our text. But it also includes the, the lowest class, impoverished outcasts of society. God wants them in his church as well. And we see that even on Christmas night. The very first people that come and worship the, the newborn king at his manger cradle, those lowly shepherds of Bethlehem. God's Christ has also come for all nations, for all races, for all ethnicities and cultures that are found in our world. In fact, this is a primary point of Epiphany and of these wise men. Who were these wise men? They were from the east. They were outsiders. They were foreigners. They were not Israelites. You know, it's interesting in art when you see depictions of the wise men or even in your own nativity scenes at home. Look, the, the wise men traditionally through the history of the church have been portrayed as being from different cultures and races. And that's important for us to, to grasp and realize because Christians throughout the ages have recognized that God desires diversity and inclusivity in his church. People from all ages, from all classes, from all nations are welcome to come and bow before and worship this little peasant Jewish boy who is also the very son of God himself, Jesus. All are welcome to come and to find in Jesus the Savior from their sins. God wants all people to have and to hear his good news. And he wants all people to believe it. God wants all people to have the washing of regeneration that happens in his baptismal font. God wants all people to be able to come up and rightly receive the very body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins in the Lord's Supper. And this is something wonderful. This is something that we should rejoice in and be happy about. How God is inclusive. Because it gives you and it gives me absolute confidence and certainty. We are included because God includes all people. That means we are part of God's plan of salvation. Next, we learn and we see from these wise men that true worship can only come from a humble heart. After all, one's own pride and self-reliance, it, it has to be set aside in order to come and bow before someone as seemingly lowly and humble as Jesus. 
this little peasant child who would later on be a homeless traveling teacher who would hang out with society's outcasts, who would then go on to die the death deserved by a criminal. This isn't man's plan of salvation. This isn't something that mankind or the world would come up with according to its wisdom. But this is God's plan. It's how God has chosen to do it. The foolishness of Jesus and of his humility and lowliness is in reality God's wisdom and power. And so even though it it might not make sense to our worldly minds and ways of thinking and our worldly eyes, we can stand back and, and simply say, Amen, Lord. You know what you're doing. You work in marvelous ways of your own choosing, even though it surprises us. For instance, how surprising it is that, that God didn't choose the holy city of Jerusalem. He didn't choose the powerful capital city of Rome. Instead, he chose this little podunk town of Bethlehem to be the birthplace of his Savior. Think of that. Martin Luther, when he preached on this text, and he was preaching his Epiphany sermon, he, he asked the question, What do you think Mary and Joseph's neighbors in Bethlehem thought? What do you think they were thinking when suddenly this caravan of dignitaries from the east show up in their little town? These men who had just been in the palace visiting with King Herod himself now are walking in to this little house. They're bowing down and worshiping this little neighbor boy. How crazy. What great fools they must be. What great fools those wise men must be. How idiotic they must have appeared to the rest of the world. Coming and bowing before this little child, what's so great about him? And it must have been strange for those wise men, as they were heading to this little nearby town, this little ranch town of of Bethlehem, Bethlehem was primarily known to be a shepherd town. It's where they raised all the sheep and the lambs that would then end up over in Jerusalem to be sacrificed in the temple. It seems like a really surprising, ridiculous place for the Savior of the world, the King of Kings, to be born, according to human thinking, but not according to God's plan. God had foretold it all along through his prophets, and really how fitting it is that in this town that would produce all the the sacrificial lambs for temple worship, out of that town would come the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet those wise men, as they're going over to this little podunk town, they were intent on following God's directions. They were intent on on going and worshiping before this, this Savior of the world. And that's shown not only through that long tough journey that they would have undertaken from the east, but also now as they're walking into this this little house in Bethlehem, and they're bowing down and worshiping this one that everyone else might scoff at and laugh at, this one who would be mocked and ridiculed, hated and scorned. But those men proved themselves to be truly wise by humbling themselves, by bowing down before Jesus, and then by handing over their their costly gifts to him. All in spite of the outward appearances, in spite of the outward circumstances that were there. 
In doing so, the wise men were really following the wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In Jesus, they saw their Savior. They saw the great King. Humbling themselves, they then bowed to him who had humbled himself for their sakes and ours. This one who was rich, he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Yes, true worship, it comes from a humble heart. Knowing, knowing that Jesus came into our world in humility, that he lived as our substitute, that he, he lived under the law that we failed to live under. And then, knowing that he willingly, in humility, suffered and died upon the cross, in great humility, in order to pay for our sins. That, dear friends, is what now moves us to have humble hearts. Knowing how he lowered himself, how he humbled himself for us and for our salvation, that's what moved the wise men, and that's what moves us still, to be willing to appear to be such great fools to the, to the rest of the world. It moves us to, to humble ourselves before our king, and to offer our, our gifts to him as well. The love of Christ compels us. But please realize, dear friends, we do have an advantage over the wise men. We, uh, we have something that the wise men didn't have as they were going in and worshiping this small child. We have the full picture of God's story, of his plan of salvation, because we have the knowledge of Easter. God has revealed to us that the fact that this, this humble little one that was found as a small child in Bethlehem would go on to do all these things, and then he would prove that his work in humbling himself, his work in winning forgiveness, has absolutely been accomplished. We see proof of that in the fact that that tomb is open and empty on Easter. His, he has accomplished it. It is complete he is, in fact, exactly who he said he is, the king of kings, king of the universe, the one who's someday going to bring us out of our own graves to the mansions that he has prepared for us in heaven. Lastly, we learn from the wise men that true worship continues to follow God. It continues to trust that God will work for good. Having worshiped their Savior, the wise men are then given directions from God to not go back to Herod, but to return uh, to their homeland a different way. And they faithfully listen to God. They're willing to continue to be guided by God. And this shows that they trust that God knows best. God knows best. And they're willing to trust that God is at work for good. And we can trust that too. As we go out from here, here in church we come and we bow before our Savior, our King, Jesus. We receive his word and his sacraments. And we hear proclaimed to us, our sins are forgiven. We are his righteous people. We now go out and we live our lives trusting God. As the wise men continued to listen to God, we want to faithfully listen to him as well as we go out. 
and lead our lives. And we want to lead our lives according to, to God's word and to what he tells us. And we do this trusting that he is going to be working for the good of his kingdom, for the good of his people. He's going to be working for our good. Especially now, so many people are worried. They've been so worked up after we've seen this debacle in Washington, D.C. this past week. What is going on in our country? What does the future have in store? What kind of weird alternate history wormhole have we entered into to get to this point? In our text... Didn't God have everything under control in spite of King Herod and his evil? Didn't God have everything in control in spite of the worries and anxieties and threats, real threats, to Mary and Joseph and Jesus? Wasn't God all along throughout this account providing for his people? Yes, For instance, imagine how good and useful those gifts that the wise men gave to to Jesus would have been shortly after as, as Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have to flee to Egypt. How it helped provide for their needs there, no doubt. God knew the needs that they had, even before they knew it. And he was at work providing for those needs as he was sending those wise men to worship Jesus. And God promises the same for you today. And we need to stand on that promise now more than ever. All things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his promise. We're familiar with that verse from Romans 8. And as we see all of this current unrest going on around us in our world, as we might be filled with worry and with anxiety, We can sit back and we can take refuge in God. Politics, governments, earthly powers, they can all bite me. We have the King of Kings. I worship Jesus Christ Almighty. He is for me. He's the one that I turn to in worship. What do I have to worry about? That's what we can say to ourselves in any time of trouble and distress. Dear friends, if you are worried about our current troubles, I'd encourage you to go and meditate later today on Psalm 2, the second psalm. In it, it describes the nations raging. The kings of the earth are taking their stand, even against God and against his anointed one. But what does God say he does? He sits in heaven and he laughs at them and their puny efforts. And there's this beautiful beatitude, this beautiful closing statement at the end of Psalm 2. It says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. At Epiphany, God was directing all things to work for good when it came to the wise men. He's going to do the same for us as well as we take our refuge in him. In true worship, we also trust that God is working for good. So, what is true worship all about? What do we learn about true worship from these wise men? Let's review very briefly. First of all, true worship begins with God. He's the one 
who leads us to Christ. Secondly, true worship is inclusive. It's open to all people. God desires all nations to come and see in Jesus their Savior from sin. And that's good that he's inclusive because it includes you and me. Thirdly, true worship comes from a humble heart. Especially when we see and consider how our Savior was willing to humble himself in order to come into this world to pay for our sins, that moves us. How can we not help but humble ourselves towards him in worship? And lastly, true worship continues to trust in God. After we encounter Christ here in this place, through his word and sacraments, we get to go out and we continue to worship him as we live our lives trusting in God, trusting that he is at work for the good of those who love him. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be forevermore. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith, in Christ Jesus. Amen.